Welcome to this Active Growth Podcast Mix-Up episode. The topic is why ego is bad for business. In today's episode, we'll look at the many forms that ego can take and interfere with business. And if you've worked at a company, then you've probably experienced this in various forms. But it's something that doesn't only apply to working in teams. Of course, if you have someone who's like egomaniacal and selfish and just generally a terrible person and they have like they're a manager of a team, then that's that's a recipe for disaster. We all know that. But it's not just egomania and the extreme forms of this that can be harmful to a business in many ways. There are also much more subtle influences and there is where we can stumble into the trap. So as an entrepreneur, you might be making some of these mistakes and not notice at all. Also, while ego, of course, really negatively affects teamwork, a lot of this is also relevant to solo work. It will affect your business negatively, even if you are a one-man operation. In this episode, you'll discover things like the hippo problem, which can really sneak up on a business and really get in the way of optimizing and improving your business and your website I will talk about the quadrant feedback method that has been extremely valuable in our own business. And of course, much, much more. We'll talk about the problems, big and subtle, that ego can cause in a business. And of course, we'll also give you specific strategies. We'll give you solutions and methods you can put in place to avoid having these problems affect your business. You can go to activegrowth.com forward slash four to get the show notes for this episode. That includes a quick summary of what the episode is about, links to where you can find and subscribe to our podcast, and much more. Finally, this is a mix-up episode. In fact, it's the first mix-up episode on the Active Growth Podcast. So, what is a mix-up episode? One of the things that's different about the Active Growth Podcast is that we do content series. So we will do a deep dive into a critical topic for entrepreneurship in a whole series of episodes. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we have something important to talk about that fits the scope of a single episode. And of course, we're not going to artificially stretch something onto multiple episodes just for the sake of it. So whenever we have a topic to talk about that fits just a single episode, that is a mix-up episode. We hope that this will also bring a bit more variety into the podcast. So we kind of switch back and forth between really in-depth series and then lighter mix-up episodes. So here we go, mix-up episode number one, why ego is bad for business. Hello and welcome. I'm Shane Melach. And I'm Hannah Verbeek. And today we're going to talk about ego. Why we're going to talk about ego? Well, the other night I was having dinner with my ex-colleagues from when I was still working in a big company. And all of them are now working in different companies. And they were telling those crazy stories about everything that went wrong at their job. And the more I thought about it, the more I noticed that this was actually caused by the ego of different people in the company. And I was wondering, like, why is this so much of a problem in corporate? And why, as an entrepreneur, this is not something that's, that's actually possible. Like, you cannot have your ego in the way. And the reason why we want to record this as an episode is because, as an entrepreneur, you cannot let your ego get in the way. If you let your ego talk, then 
it will actually hurt your business. It will hurt the growth of your business. And this is one of the worst things that you can do to your company. Can I quickly interject here? Like in general, from the people you know, those who are successful entrepreneurs doing their own thing, would you say that they're generally less ego-driven, maybe more humble people than someone who, let's say, is a middle manager at a huge corporation or something like that? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, because that's something I've noticed as well. Like that's definitely, if you start paying attention to that, you can see a clear difference there in in the, just the attitudes of, of the, these kinds of people, basically. And of course, we're generalizing here, but you'll, you'll see uh, where this all comes from um, in a few minutes here. Yeah, because when you work for a company, it's like when you work in, in, in corporate, let's say, uh, in the corporate world, the whole system is set up to give rewards to individuals. Just Google how to get a promotion. And the very first thing that will come up is like, you have to make sure that people know that you are doing a good job. And so the best way to, to let people know that you are doing a good job is to make sure that you get the credit, right? Even if it was a team effort, you still want to get that credit because that's how you will get the promotion. And if you have to ask for a raise, for example, uh, the game is to go to see your manager and to explain why you were better than the rest of your colleagues and why you are the one who's entitled to get a part of the envelope that they can give as a raise that year. So it's a very individual system and it's very much ego driven because you have to make sure that when something goes wrong, well, it's not your fault. Like you can blame somebody else for that because if not, this will hurt your chances for a promotion. This will hurt your chances for a race. And I think this is like completely the opposite with when, when you're working as an entrepreneur, because at that point, like nobody will give you a raise <laughs> or will give you a promotion, right? It's like you have to work to, to, to grow your company. And it's really the opposite. It's one very much against the other. Yeah, in, in the corporate environment, I think, you know, it, the worst version of this is, is when basically the best thing you can do for your career is spend your time on, on like managing your image and, and making sure you throw other people under the bus for mistakes and making sure you hoard credit for good things happening. And you're spending more time doing that than actually actually working, right? And of course, that, that's like an extreme example. But if you, I mean, if, if you look into this and if you read books about like company culture and management in larger companies, you can see that this is actually a problem that many large companies have to struggle with. Like, how do we prevent this from happening? How do we prevent this kind of toxic uh thing to to emerge from from what's basically uh something that that's a good idea like we want to be a meritocracy right we want to reward people who do uh, the best kind of work but that could be like the flip side of it uh if you if you mismanage it it can can be totally toxic and that's where you have this this total ego driven culture right where everyone's basically trying to scramble over the bodies of everyone else to to get a promotion and a raise and so on yeah and like i said it, it the problem is that it is rewarded like i have this very example from when i was working uh, in a company and so i was working as a shoes buyer so in the buying department and at one point like my my job wasn't really a full-time job anymore and I went to see my manager and I asked her if I could please work in the e-commerce department, like being uh, part time 
in the buying department and part-time in the e-commerce, which was in the marketing department. And so the problem with this whole story is that this got refused, not because they didn't need help in the e-commerce department and not because they didn't think that I could help, but because then my manager would lose half a man in her department and have to give half a man to the marketing department, which was another manager. And so this would like diminish her team, which diminishes her importance in the company, um, which would then be like a problem for her when she needed to ask for a promotional raise. <laughs> this is pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> this is really terrible because like this is against everything and like this is against the 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 good functionment of of the company right at this point you have somebody who who tells you like hey i don't have enough work let me please do more work for the company for the same pay <laughs> and you say like no i'd rather have you being bored at your desk than having you being half in another department yeah, so a, a related problem here uh, is also, so here we have an example where basically a manager has to protect, she has to protect her, her importance in the company, right? Mm -hmm. And this reminds me of the hippo problem, right? So in, the, I think this term started in the conversion rate optimization community, where, you know, the question is, oh, do you use the hippo method to, uh, to make decisions in your company? The hippo method, method is the highest paid person's opinion, right? So hippo is a, an acronym <laughs> for highest paid person's opinion. And, and well, that's, that's what often happens, right? So if you're making a decision about, okay, you know, what should we put on our homepage or how should we update the sales page? Question is like, how is that decision made? Are you making the best decision, the best decision for the company? Are you testing to see what really works? Or are you simply going with the highest paid person's opinion and the hippo problem arises because the highest paid person in the room or you know whatever the the person with the uh, the highest ranked job title in the room will often feel compelled to make a decision they will feel compelled to dictate what happens in order to validate their existence because if you're the manager in the room and the result is well all together we decide to run an a b test and then the A-B test, the data determines which version won, then it's like, well, what did you have to do with that? That, you know, you can't really take credit for that. So, and then like the fear is, well, what if the people in this room figure out that they don't need me? Yeah. Right? Exactly. And so then you have to make decisions to validate your existence. Exactly. And and that whole thing of, of like, okay, as a manager, well, you need to have a big team because if not, like your job isn't very uh, secure anymore. And yeah, you have to make the decisions because imagine that the assistant was giving a good suggestion for an A-B test and then that's the one who's winning. Like, Oh, no. <laughs> big problem <laughs> which which is like completely against everything that you have to do as an entrepreneur right and so we have actually five ways in which your ego can get in the way as an entrepreneur and how to work against that and how to have methods in place to make sure that your ego isn't hurting the growth of your business so very first it actually starts from the very beginning with your business idea because you know you will like maybe wake up one day or maybe it's an idea that you have since a very long time and of course it's the best idea in the world right because you came up with it um <laughs> but <laughs> and and very often 
entrepreneurs will not talk about their idea because they are afraid that people will um, steal it. Yeah. But that's one problem. But another problem is also they are afraid that people might tell them that it's not that good of an idea, like that it might not work or that they might have to change something. And this is where the very first part of your ego comes into place, right? Where it's like, okay, I have this idea. And rather than looking for validation, you will have to look for reasons why it will not work. If you go out and you talk about your business idea, because please talk about it. Like, don't don't make that mistake. <laughs> Shane, what do you think about the whole idea of like, they will steal my my idea. Yeah, this is this is a very very common um, entrepreneurial fear, right? So a beginner a beginner entrepreneur fear is like, oh my god, if I tell someone about my idea, they, they'll recognize the genius of this idea and they'll steal it right away, right? And they'll make millions instead of me. And the reality is that first of all, your idea is probably not that brilliant, <laughs> and secondly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So because it's all about execution in the end anyway. Even if your idea is great, like assuming your idea is great, if, you know, five companies start with the same idea, basically four other people steal your idea, you all start companies at the same time, it doesn't matter because the company that executes best will win. And far fewer than one in five companies succeed anyway. And it's again, it's because of execution in most cases. So really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if other people hear about your idea. There's, you know, there, there are very few cases where this is a legitimate concern. And it's really only, you know, if you have a successful company, then maybe you're in danger of other much larger players in the same space or something like that, poaching ideas or people from you or something like that. But if you're if you're looking to start a business, no, it's, it's fine. People won't like steal your idea and make millions. <laughs> and... Exactly, like you were talking about execution. And I think this is where if you can go out with your idea and ask people like, why do you think this would not work? Like, where do you think problems will arise? Yeah, basically, tell me what's wrong with my idea, right? That, exactly. And this, and this is extremely rare, like basically, almost nobody does this. And it also reminds me of research done by Carol Dweck, um, which showed that in general, people who kind of have this who prepare for the worst essentially are more likely to succeed so if you look at people who are like um, you know totally optimistic and positive and they're like yes it's going to work this is going to be great and only look at the positive they're actually significantly less likely to succeed in whatever they do right whatever the goal is whether it's starting a company or or um, you know finishing your studies on something or whatever um, than people who have a clear goal and figure out what's the best possible outcome, but also ask themselves, what could go wrong here? And if it does, what will I do? And this totally applies to your business as well. If, if you're only looking for validation, if you're only looking for people to yeah, stroke your ego and tell you this is a great idea, you'll be so you'll be so good, right? Um, you are much less likely to succeed than if from the outset, you have a clear positive goal, but you also try to find out where might this go wrong? And this is where it becomes super interesting because if you can have, like, imagine you have your business idea, you're like, okay, I'm going to start this membership website, whatever. And then people are like, well, I would never pay a monthly fee for that. <laughs> then 
This is something where instead of already having built out your membership, created all the content um, and have like this one option in place, if beforehand you're talking about it, well, you might already course correct or you might make sure that you set up your business so that if that is actually true, like if people decide not to pay a monthly fee, but they want to purchase individually, well, you can make sure at that point that you have your plan B in place and that people will actually have the possibility to pay uh, separate for for the different courses for example yeah so so that would be yeah that would be step 1 right that this is our intervention number 1 is look for feedback on your business idea don't hold it too close to your chest and look for possible negative feedback because negative feedback can be extremely extremely valuable i think there's one more thing one reason why this is difficult it's because when you have this business idea, it's like it's like your baby, right? So you don't yeah. you don't want people to tell your baby is ugly. It's, <laughs> it's like don't like that. Um, but if you can disconnect yourself and your self worth from your business idea, and this will be like a common thread throughout all the the ego stuff it's your self-worth is not connected to um your business idea being a good idea or your uh your business succeeding or whatever and i think from the very beginning this is important it's like if people tell you like oh yeah this idea i'm not sure it will probably not work like that doesn't mean that you are a bad person <laughs> or that doesn't mean that you failed or something yeah, that's a very important point it's it's just your idea didn't work out all right so that's that's point number one and point number two is another thing that we've seen a lot with the work at thrive themes as well with the way people build their websites and build up their websites is that we see that often you're too proud to do something that isn't perfect that you perceive as not being perfect so a very common thing is that people get lost in details like i want to have you know, the right domain name, I need the perfect.com domain name. And I need the perfect professional looking logo and business cards on my website has to be just so before I even start right before I even publish it, everything has to be perfect. And this is just as we've talked about before, right, we're all about rapid implementation. And this is just not a good strategy at all, because it makes you keep tinkering it makes you get lost in details and makes you put off the actual productive work often to never right often people just never launch uh, when they have this mindset and when we make recommendations around the idea of rapid implementation this is one of the problems or basically we're telling you look just slap together a simple landing page put it out there send some traffic to it like we talked about in previous episodes, get on a call with people, see what happens, right? Offer them some coaching, see what happens. If you're thinking, well, that's not good enough. I can't publish my landing page unless it has the perfect design and my logo is on there and my logo isn't finished yet. And, and I can't, you know, I have to have a perfect plan before I do one coaching call with someone. I have to have the perfect plan. I have to make sure that this coaching session is the best coaching session this person has ever experienced. And before everything is perfect, I am not going to make a move. Well, this is a matter of pride, right? You're like, you're too proud to do a crappy landing page and an okay coaching session. 
So when was the last time that you did a professional photo shoot, Shane? <laughs> the last time was never. <laughs> I have never done a professional photo shoot. In fact, actually, I'm probably going to do one next week with, well, professional, semi-professional at least, <laughs> right? Where it's at least someone else holding the camera, taking pictures and not just me standing there, you know, because I have like, I have two pictures of myself that are professional enough that I can use them on the web. And I, both of them were made like just with me and the tripod and, and they're not very good. So yeah, so I'm, I'm like eight years or something into this online business thing. And I haven't made a single professional photo of myself, which hopefully will change next week. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> we're looking forward to seeing the results. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> okay. My point with this question, because I, I kind of knew the answer, right? <laughs> um, but the point with this is like, don't get stuck on, on, on this kind of detail. And this, especially I think with, with pictures is an ego thing. Like you don't, you want to look perfect, um, online. And so professional pictures will help with that, but it's not what will actually help your business succeed. Yeah. Yeah. So then we're on the third topic of ego. And this is, I think like, this is a pretty hard one because you have to ask feedback from your customers. And it's the only way that you will be able to improve and to make a kick-ass product or service, but it is so hard to hear because you've been working hard, right? You've been working your ass off for this company. And it's when somebody says like, oh, I was not happy about this or this, or even like being aggressive and being like, oh, this was totally not worth it. And it's like, <gasps> yeah, this is also part of the problem that if you, you're selling a product and when, when people have a problem with your product, especially when they have a problem that's big enough for them to contact you, about it, then often emotions are involved, right? Because at that point, because many people will not at the slightest problem immediately contact support or immediately send you an email with their opinion or something like that. They will uh, try to fix it themselves. They will try a bunch of stuff. They will get frustrated. And then when they're emotionally charged, then you get an email from them. And then it's, you know, th there might be valuable feedback in there, but it's also wrapped in this emotional bundle of anger and frustration. And it can be really, really difficult to deal with us. It can be really difficult to not just get defensive and basically be angry back at them. Exactly. Because the first reaction is, is like, what do they know about it? Like, honestly, <laughs> they, th this is wrong. Like, this is not true. And the problem is that's not really helping, right? <laughs> Yeah. And even if they are wrong, like, you know, even if it is something like, well, you're an idiot, you just, you know, you just didn't click the right thing to make it work. But still, you have to see the feedback in there is that one of your users used your product and they didn't see the thing that they were supposed to click, right? Even, even though it was right there, and maybe they spent an hour trying to figure this out and they didn't see the thing that you thought was obvious while well, you click on this, right? Mm -hmm. That is valuable feedback. That's something you need to be aware of. Exactly. And so what are some, um, some ways that people can actually get that feedback? Well, one of them is that you, if you, if you sell a product and you offer support, then you're already getting a whole bunch of feedback because through your support channel, people will tell you at the very least, they will tell you what's wrong at a ratio of something like 10 to one, right? Out of, you know, you'll get 10 messages saying, 
this doesn't work, I'm frustrated, I hate this, and so on. And you'll get one message saying, hey, I just wanted to contact you to tell you this is awesome, <laughs> right? So, and, and that can be difficult, right? Dealing with that negativity, but you also have to realize that automatically, if you simply give people the option to contact you somehow, you are already getting feedback, even if it's just, or, you know, it's easy to basically look at your support desk or whatever system you use, your support inbox, and just be like, well, this is just a bunch of problems. This isn't beneficial to my business. This is a necessary evil of my business, but there's no benefit here. But you can also look at it and say, well, all of this is feedback. All of this is telling me how I can maybe potentially make my business better, make my product better, make sure that I appeal to the right people, right? Because maybe one of the things that's happening is that the wrong people are buying your product and they, they are coming in with the wrong expectations. All of this is feedback that you can essentially apply to your business. Yeah, I think the, the expectations part is very important um, because often when, when somebody will be like, oh, this isn't working or this isn't doing what I expected that it was and you're reading it, you're like, yeah, the, I like that was never supposed to work that way. It's like clearly you're talking like your message is off, right? Like that's mm -hmm. another very good feedback. It's like, oh, apparently I didn't communicate clearly enough what my product wasn't doing or what my product or service, whom my product or service wasn't good for. Yeah. To give an example, right? If at Thrive Themes, you know, every once in a while, we will get a message of someone saying something like, you know, uh, I can't install this on my Shopify website. And that's the kind of thing where we're like, well, yeah, that's because it's a WordPress plugin and we never said it worked on Shopify. But if we got that kind of message regularly, then we would have to ask ourselves, hold on, why are, why are all these Shopify users thinking they can use this? And we'd have to figure out where the source of the problem is, right? That would be an example where it's easy to just say, ah, oh, these are all idiots, right? All of them are idiots <laughs> and, and they can't be helped. But, but yeah, as soon as, if you see a pattern here and it's, if it's not just a very rare occurrence, then you have to ask yourself, well, there's a reason. There's a reason why these people are coming here and thinking this will work on Shopify and in the end it doesn't, right? And so this is not only for products, right? Like the feedback loop. If you follow Thrive Teams, you know that we talk a lot about testimonials and how important testimonials are for your business. But it's also an opportunity at the end of your service to ask, like, what could I improve? Like, what could I have done better? What did you like about the service? But what didn't you like about the service? What was more difficult? And so actually going after that negative feedback um, will help you also then improve your service afterwards. Yeah. And it's one of the ways, so in general, right, when we talk about a feedback loop, it's something you, you, even though with support, you basically get it automatically to some degree, but we also encourage very much to deliberately set that up. So for example, in your follow-up marketing to have a stage where it's like, okay, these people have, you know, maybe they bought your product a few weeks ago. Now's a good time to send a message, basically inviting feedback. And you can do that by sending them to a survey. You can do that by sending them just to, you know, to leave a comment or, or write a reply. Or as we do with Thrive Ovation, we send them to leave a testimonial. And the testimonial, you know, one of the ways you can use Thrive Ovation is actually because you can ask multiple questions. You can ask people, okay, you know, what do you like most about our product? And you can also ask what, what do you like the least? Because you don't have to to publish the whole thing. So what you can do with Thrive Ovation is you can actually, you know, get feedback on a whole bunch of stuff and then you can take the bit 
the one question that's about, you know, what you love about it, that's the testimonial. And the rest is just feedback for you. So that's one of the ways you can use it. And obviously you can do the same thing. Um, you don't need Thrive Ovation for this, essentially. You can do the same thing with some kind of a, you know, with Google Forms or something. It's just that then it's more work to transform the stuff you get into actual testimonials. But the basic idea is that you have a deliberate step in your follow-up marketing where you invite people to give you feedback. Now, the fourth way where your ego can get in your way is the moment that you have to recruit people. So as you start out as an entrepreneur, you're probably doing a lot or everything yourself. But at one point, if you want to grow your business, you might have to recruit people. And so this is also a point where you will have to get your ego in check because you have to try to get people that are better than you. Yeah, this is something that I struggled with quite a bit, actually. It, it took me quite a, a while to get out of that solopreneur mindset. And I think for me, I, I don't know if you know how common this experience is, but I think for me, it was like early on when I started as an entrepreneur, it was very much a question of it. Like, I felt like I had to prove to myself and prove to the world that I can do this against expectations, right? Because I wasn't the type of person who you would look at and say, oh yeah, this guy's going to be successful, right? I was the opposite of that. So I had to, I felt like I had to prove that I can do this. So that was, that was very much a driver of this. And that was, that became part of my identity really is that I'm the guy who can do this. Look at me. I can fucking do this. You thought I couldn't, but I can, right? <laughs> and, and then getting out of that was actually quite difficult. So I, and this is one of the reasons why, you know, I was such a control freak because it's like I letting go of that almost because, yeah, like I said, it became like part of my identity. So if I have other people do work for me, then I'm no longer the guy who can do this. I'm no longer, you know, the, the guy who can push the boulder up the hill all by himself. So, you know, then what am I? <laughs> so it's almost <laughs> like a bit of an identity crisis, right? And, and yeah, this, this really took, it took quite a long time for me to kind of uh, get this out of my system, you know, get this feeling that I have to be the one doing everything and I have to be the one who can, who's the best at everything and so on to get that out of my system. It wasn't easy for me. I think like this is, this is super interesting what you're saying, because I think many people can like, okay, they can hire a VA or an assistant and it's like, oh, the really like the tasks that aren't very important or that nobody is seeing or, okay, those I can delegate. But then when it comes to the really important stuff in your business, like if you have to, to delegate that, it becomes much more difficult, right? Yeah. For me, I think an important or the way I've I've changed my thinking about this is that my business is there to serve people and whatever I can do to, to make my business serve more people better is good. So it's with that kind of thinking, it is now a positive thing for me if I, I want people to be better at what um, than me at what they do. So I don't want to be the, the person who's best at managing a team or the person who's best at writing a blog post or the person who's best at whatever, because I would much rather have, you know, two people on the team who are both better than me at writing blog posts and they write the blog posts because that serves more people more effectively than if it's just me doing it. Right. So for me, I think this is very much about reframing 
what the purpose of all this is so that the that you know getting my ego out of the way and hiring people who are better than me and being able to freely admit that people are better than me becomes uh, something that's in line with my goals and my business's goals rather than something that threatens my identity and that doesn't take anything away of you being the ceo yeah i mean that's and, and i think that's also something that you you can't be the ceo and also try to be the best at every other role in the company that's just not how it works like you can't be CEO and still be designing the, yeah. the, the, the interface of the software. Which, which unfortunately, I, I was literally doing that <laughs> up until not very long ago. Although that was more a, a human resources problem than an ego problem. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's one important thing to keep in mind. It's like, it's not because you find somebody who's better at content creation or um, who's better at answering support tickets or who's better at whatever, even at, at, at developing the software that you started or something that doesn't take away from you. Like they are not going to take over your company one, yeah. once again. <laughs> so this leads us to the fifth and final point of how your ego can get in the way of your success. And that is that just like you need to be open for feedback from your customers, you have to be open for feedback from the people you're working with. And this is not only if you have a team, let's make this clear from the very beginning. This is also if you uh, hire a designer or if you have um, somebody who works a few hours for you, this is like everybody that you are in, in contact with. You need to be open for their feedback on improving not only your company, but also the systems in your company. Because what was working for you when you, you, you were working all by yourself might not work for your assistant. She or he might just have a better and a faster way to do things, for example. And there are some very specific things that you can do to make sure that you actually create an environment that is safe for this feedback. Because the last thing that you want is to create this corporate environment where people have to like show how good they are and, and to get your praise and that kind of stuff. So from the very beginning, from the very first people that you start working with, you can make sure to have this safe environment and that nobody is punished for uh, giving you feedback, right? That's, I think that's very important. One thing I've noticed about this is that it's quite difficult to cultivate this because most people who have work experience come in from an environment where they're not safe to give feedback, right? Especially not upwards. So maybe it's okay to give feedback, you know, to your peers and downwards to people you manage, but it is not okay to say anything negative upwards to a manager or the CEO of the company or something like that. I, I notice this a lot because for me, it's like, you know, initially, <laughs> initially, I hope my hope was that I would basically just walk in uh, and tell people, all right, I'm open to feedback, you know, tell me what's on your mind, it's all good. <laughs> and then people would give me feedback. But when you do this, as the as the boss or manager or CEO, you tell this to a room full of people, you see them all squirming in their seats. Because nobody wants to be the first to give feedback and then, you know, get shot down and fired or whatever they experienced in their previous jobs, right? So it's really something that you have to carefully cultivate over time. You have to, you know, 
you have to have patience with this as well. People won't just instantly give you good feedback. It's something you really have to work on and cultivate over time. And even I, I remember like just to go back one second to like the customer feedback, like even they don't have that, um, that the, the, their job at, at stake basically, but still when you were face to face, remember at the conference, Shane, when you were face to face with customers and you were actually asking them to their face, like, what don't you like about uh, the, the, the software? And then people were like, uh, this is not okay. Like I, I can't <laughs> actually give negative feedback. Yeah, that's true. That was interesting. So I, I, I did ask people face to face or customers, I asked them, you know, well, yeah, what don't you like? What do you think we should improve and stuff like that? Uh, what you hate most about, about our products. And it's very rare, very rare that someone, um, you know, gave me a straight answer to that. Most of them were just like, no, no, it's all good. I love it. <laughs> so imagine like if even customers who are actually like paying are afraid to tell you straight, straight up what they would like to see improved, like people who are working for you and you are actually the one like being in, in, in charge of, of their future <laughs> or if they still have a job tomorrow. Like, yeah, it's, it's for sure not something that will happen overnight, right? It's, it's a difficult thing, yeah. So one of the ways we did this is we did an assessment that actually I wish I, I, I don't know what the source of this is. Someone told me about this. I thought it was a good idea. We tried it out where we basically have feedback. So that is between a manager and someone they manage, between an individual they manage, right? And you give feedback on four points. So if, if me and Hannah are doing this feedback session, I would tell Hannah first what I think I did well, what I think I could improve, what I think she did well, and what I think she can improve. And then she would do the same thing. So she would tell me what she thinks she did well, what she can improve, what I did well, what I can improve. So this way, and I think this this is quite a good way uh, to give feedback because you you make sure you cover all the bases and you make sure that it's not just it's not just ass kissing, right? And, oh, everything's great, uh, you're so good, and so on, which isn't you know which feels good but isn't very constructive. But it's also not just negative feedback. It's not just oh you should do this better and that wasn't good enough. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, it, it creates a really good uh, balance between the two, and it's a nice structure where you know. If you, if you tell people, well, this is what we're going to do, this is the feedback we're going to give each other, and they have to prepare that, then, well, they have to. They have to come up with something, um, a recommendation of what they think you can improve. And they also have to think critically about their own performance, think about what they can, can improve. I really love this assessment method and um, because I've, I've had corporate assessments <laughs> where you first have to fill out a survey of like 150 questions about uh, the, the different things that you did that year, because of course it's only once a year. Um, and, and it's like, nobody they never ask what the manager could do to help you. Because again, this is not like, oh, you didn't do this well. No, this is what can you improve? So it's like, oh, well, if I prefer having written uh, like having the, the notes uh, written down rather than you telling it me in, in uh, only in person because then I forget about it for example like it's it can be very small things that can actually then really improve the way you work and, and the efficiency of your work right yeah yeah and it's so doing this kind of assessment on a regular basis is also one of the ways in which you can cultivate and, and, and prove to people that it's okay to give ne uh, negative feedback or yet yeah, to tell you basically 
what you can do better because essentially with this because this is a structured assessment with these four points like they have to come up with something to tell you and then when they do tell you and you don't you know you don't overreact to it like you you react constructively to it that demonstrates to them oh this is okay to do and so if you do this a few times with someone then after a while it makes it much more likely that they will also spontaneously give you feedback uh, even if it's not always positive you know without being afraid of it and then there's another way that you can do this it's um, something that we put in place which is like a weekly check-in um, and this is very simple this is a form so uh, people don't even have to tell it face to face because i think again this like can sometimes be difficult where in written um, it can be easier to um, yeah to give that feedback and uh, it's just a form where it's like what what went well this week and uh, what can we do to improve so what didn't go well this week and this is something again that will really give feedback and help you improve all of the systems that you put in place now when you do this well what will happen after a while is that you you do get a lot of constructive feedback you do learn what's going wrong and what people would like you to improve and then the next problem you have is actually taking action on that because you can't improve everything all at once um, but this is something we might talk about on a separate episode how to deal with that but basically when this happens that means you're doing it right so you, you should get to the point where basically you're getting a stream of feedback coming in at such a regular rate that it becomes a problem of well what do we do first because i can't follow all these requests all at the same time and you have to start basically prioritizing because you also need to prove to people that you do take their feedback seriously and act on it so ideally you have such a strong feedback loop and such a strong feedback stream that this becomes something you really have to manage in your company but like i said this is a good problem to have that is basically the goal of what we've been talking about here and then there is one last principle which is more a mindset than actually something you can put in place and it's called extreme ownership and it's a term that uh, joko willink um, wrote a book about he's a navy seal and so he talked about extreme ownership um, how how this works with the navy seals and how it can actually like improve your business and the the whole idea of the extreme ownership is when something goes wrong it's always your fault so instead of trying to blame other people about what went wrong like the first thing you do is saying okay this is my fault so imagine you're working with a designer and you don't get the designs in time or the design you get back it's like it's not what you were expecting the first reaction is to be like oh they didn't do their job they didn't respect the deadline they didn't okay extreme ownership is the opposite is saying what did I do wrong that made this happen so maybe you didn't communicate clear enough maybe the deadline wasn't clear maybe you were the one not giving the content in time maybe and when you switch this over and then also when you communicate about the problem with somebody saying like okay this is what went wrong and the reason why this went wrong is because I didn't do this, this and this, or I did do this, this and this, and I did this wrong. This will completely switch the conversation because at that point, people don't feel aggressed about the mistake. 
and they will be like oh no actually it's because i didn't do this this or this and then you can actually get this feedback loop going and you can communicate and you can improve upon uh, what went wrong from both sides whereas if you start blaming somebody um it's like then they just go into defense mode and they will never tell you what went wrong from their side and you're just blocked and it will happen over and over again, the same mistakes. The principle here is that in the end, as an entrepreneur, you have to reduce stuff to whatever you can control anyway. Because maybe when you start examining, okay, why didn't these designs uh, get returned in time and why are they crap? maybe it comes all the way down to the problem is i hired the wrong designer but it's there's no point in saying well this you know it's the designer's fault because it's not going to help you have to you have to keep following the trail back until it comes to a problem that you can control and so even if it really is the designer's incompetence, well, your mistake was you hired the wrong designer and you have to figure out why did this happen? Why didn't we have a vetting process that avoided this from happening? And how can we make sure that we hire the right designer next time? Because everything else, all the stuff that you can't control, and it's true that the, you know sometimes it's not your fault essentially, but all the stuff you can't control is essentially not important for your business. What's important for your business is where is the point where I can make a change that makes a difference? All right, so that is our discussion about the various ways in which ego is the enemy of the entrepreneur and ego can get in your way. Thank you very much for listening. We appreciate that you took the time out of your schedule to listen to the Active Growth Podcast and we hope you tune in for the next one. I hope you enjoyed that episode and not many footnotes for this episode, so this will be short. As always, I hope you enjoy our content and I'd love to know your thoughts about this let us know what you think about this episode let us know if you have any questions any concerns anything related to this that we could help you with and you can do that by going to activegrowth.com forward slash four that's activegrowth one word.com forward slash four and you can use the number four or type four doesn't matter you'll end up on the right page that's where you can get the show notes links and so on for this episode and where you can leave a comment also, if you've been enjoying the Active Growth podcast, it'd be really helpful for us if you left a review and a rating on iTunes or on Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you'll also find links and instructions for how to do that with the show notes. So I hope I see you there. I hope you will let us know what you think. That is activegrowth.com forward slash four.